just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today, I am sitting down with Olivia to talk about her journey navigating symptoms and trying to find a diagnosis. Olivia has been diagnosed with myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome, or ME slash CFS, but refers to that as a blanket diagnosis that doesn't really explain the full picture. In this episode, Olivia talks us through her symptoms that started about a year ago, how her medical team arrived at the diagnosis of ME-CFS, how she feels when she gets told she isn't bad enough to warrant further testing, how she manages university study, including the importance of lecture recordings, and we learn about her love for grocery shopping. I mentioned this in the episode, but Olivia and I connected when she made a Facebook post asking for some advice with going to uni and living with a chronic illness. And I am so glad that she did make that post so that we could connect and I could help share her story with all of you today. Welcome to That's So Chronic. Yay, Olivia, welcome to That's So Chronic. Thank you for having me. So we first connected online. You made a post on a Facebook group for the university that we both go to. Yeah, that seems like so long ago now. Yeah. (laughs) And I remember like seeing your post being like, oh, do I comment? Like I always feel a little bit weird because I want to reach out and, you know, be like, hey, there's this thing, but then I'm like, is this too self-promotion-y? Yeah. And then a few people had tagged me, so I was like, okay, no, I can reach out. And I'm so glad that I did. Same. Because it's <laughs> led, because it's led to us chatting and meeting today. Yeah. And also, actually, I thought I just wanted to say, I just wanted to say thank you as well for making that post because for me personally, just knowing that there was somebody out there, yeah, at the same university that just gets it. You know, that felt really amazing Yeah, I definitely got that vibe as well from the post. Like, I didn't realise that there were so many other people dealing with these same sort of issues. So many people. Yeah. There was, like, there were so many comments of people yeah. like, hey, that's me. Like, I've also got uh, this I thing. I know. Yeah. It was very comforting, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. So today, for people listening at home, it might feel a little bit of a different interview because rather than chatting about your journey to get a diagnosis, well, that is exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about the journey because for you, this journey is still ongoing to try and find Very much ongoing. It is a pain in the butt. (laughs) (laughs) So you do have like quote unquote a blanket diagnosis of ME slash CFS or myalgic encephalomyelitis or chronic fatigue syndrome. Wonderful wonderful pronunciation. Oh my God, I I love saying that word. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it makes you feel like, so like scientific, being like, this is what's wrong with me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We will unpack and chat all about that blanket diagnosis, but I thought, should we start at the beginning? When... These symptoms or when stuff started happening for you to go, hang on, I need to investigate this. Okay. It's 
been about a year almost okay. to the date from my Snapchat memories. Yeah. Um, I ended up in ED. Okay. With like whole body paralysis. And obviously when your whole body's paralyzed, no one really knows yeah. what's going on. Yeah. Um, but because it is, it was like exam season at uni, all the ED doctors just put it down to me being nervous about my exams. Right. And I was like, mm, okay, maybe, because I do have a history of anxiety and depression. So I was like, maybe this is just a weird form of anxiety. Yeah. yeah. But then it kept happening. And right. I'm like, this is, this is a little bit more than just anxiety, I think. And was it scary? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like not being able to move at all. Yeah. In the very early stages, it was like my entire body. So like up to my neck. Okay. So not being able to move my legs or my arms, not being able to walk. So I was yeah. like having to be carried downstairs in flats and yeah, wow. thrown into wheelchairs. It was like, it was madness. That's like quite a lot for your flatmates to also kind of have to yeah. be around for. Well, at the time I was staying with my partner. So it was my partner and his flatmates. Yeah. So even they were like, what is going on here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of where it all began. And I just didn't want to stick with the diagnosis of anxiety because I was like there's got to be something else going on here yeah and what was the next step in the process to try and work out like did you have many of these sort of attacks in the early days it was I remember there being two significant full body episodes but then since it's pretty much just been my lower body so just my legs and then like the my fingers and my arms as well yeah and then my GP who I was seeing for my anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. She got the ED reports that I'd been in ED and she called me in and then we just had a chat and she was like, I don't think it's anxiety either. Yeah. So it's just been this very hectic journey trying to figure out what's actually going on. Yeah. So this all started a year ago. Yeah. Once the GP's like, okay, I don't think this is anxiety. Let's, you know, pursue yeah. some more investigations. What was the sort of like what did she do just pretty much talk through what exactly the symptoms were okay so like rather than me just being like whole body paralysis it was like tingling mixed with pins and needles yeah and then also with that was just like intense fatigue okay which isn't necessarily like my eyes being heavy and wanting to sleep all the time but rather just everything hurts and the only way to fix that is rest yeah Um, It's like bone tired, someone explained to me the other day. And I was like, yes, that's totally the feeling. Yeah. So once we kind of figured that out, we were like, maybe maybe we just stick with the CFS for now while we figure out if there's something else underneath the CFS. Okay. So that's when they did the ME-CFS diagnosis. Yeah. So we're currently in the process of trying to figure out if there's anything Beyond the CFS. Yes. Once they do go, okay, well, let's just call it CFS. Is there any sort of like support or treatment that they can offer to like at least help some of these symptoms? I can take like pain medications. So I'm on gabapentin, which Mm -hmm. is quite a common CFS drug. Yeah. And then just paracetamol and ibuprofen, which doesn't really do a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And like even taking those medications open up like a whole other can of worms of symptoms. So it's... Just chaos, but otherwise everyone's just like, oh, you just need to go to therapy. You just need to like see a life coach, just talk it out. And it's like, well, that's all good and well fixing the mental, but yeah. like this is physical. Yeah. Yeah. How does that feel when people like don't necessarily believe that this is, that there's something more going on? It's definitely frustrating, especially in like recently, CFS is only just sort of becoming a 
an actual thing that doctors believe in. Yeah. So I guess that part is frustrating. But when, like, these episodes are happening in person, in public, and people can see that my body's doing these weird things, they're kind of like, oh, what's going on there? How has it been navigating study with all of this going on? Like, especially a year ago when all of this started. Yeah. Definitely mayhem. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thankful that I've got a wonderful GP. She's amazing. But... Not to, not to, like, drag UC's disability services, <laughs> but um, my experience with them hasn't been great. So I've kind of been on my own yeah. um, in terms of trying to navigate how I manage my workload and my study. Yeah. Um, but, like, I've got, got disability parking, which is mint at uni. Yeah. And then I've also got mobility aids as well, which I use sometimes around uni. So okay. that's definitely helpful. Um, I feel a bit obnoxious sometimes with my bright pink walking stick, but I love that. Can yeah. like match it to all your outfits. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I just sort of truck along. Like, yeah, it's to an outside perspective, it's probably like, what on earth? Like, how do you manage all of this? Yeah, but to me, it's just normal. It's my normal. Yeah, we just gotta keep going. When you decided to start using like a mobility aid with yeah. this bright pink walking stick, <laughs> yeah. Can you remember how that all, like, eventuated and how you felt about, you know, accepting help from this thing? Yeah, it was definitely very weird. Mm-hmm. I don't really know how to explain it, but I definitely felt I felt good that I was able to make that step in using help from a physical mobility yeah. aid. But then another part of me was like, I shouldn't have to use a mobility aid. Because, like, in my mind, only, like... Older people use walking sticks and mobility aids. So I'm like, well, why is my body doing all of these things that usually happen to older people when I'm only 20? Like, why am I having to use this walking stick? Yeah. Um, But then I was like, well, if it's going to have to be this way, I may as well make it get the bright pink sparkly one. Like (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. How do you feel when people can then really noticeably see that there's something going on for you? I guess it's good that people are like, seen that there's something wrong but then I also hate the attention like people at uni will like leave doors open for me and like let me go first and it's like no just let me exist like (laughs) I'm good I'm managing this yeah so there are other symptoms that are going on as well not just the fatigue and the pain that comes along with that isn't there yes shall we make our way through some of them to chat about, you know, how this is all happening and manifesting for you. Let's. (laughs) So when you first reached out, you mentioned that there is nerve pain on the right-hand side of your body. And that traditionally that might be symbolic of like a a brain or a spine trauma type thing, but you haven't hit that, have you? Yeah. So I guess if we like rewinding a little bit, that was sort of the first thing that the doctors sort of thought it might have been it was like spinal trauma or a head injury but like I was literally just going about my days studying for exams so and like I was being poked and prodded by all these different doctors and where the nerve pain was was like textbook of a particular spinal injury as well interesting but from what I could recall there was no spinal injury so that that was kind of weird but yeah that nerve pain is sort of like, the tingliness and, like, in real, like, bad episodes, it will, like, I can't wear pants or I yeah. can't even touch my leg because it just hurts, which is a pain at night trying to go to sleep. 
can't yeah. like get into the bed. I have to like lay on top of it in like weird ways. Um, and is it always the right hand side? Yeah. Okay. Which is really weird and a little bit concerning as well. But I mean, yeah. We've also got symptoms that you know could be categorized as POTS postural yes. orthostatic tachycardia syndrome yes another great bunch of words that I like I to know. say <laughs> but I don't love to say in the context of anybody that has this but yeah have you managed to get a diagnosis of POTS no not yet okay I were I am very much trying to pursue like a tilt test or a sit down stand up test but according to my doctors and every like the support team is those symptoms aren't severe enough to warrant that sort of like testing for diagnosis okay which is a pain again yeah but i think that they're very much textbook pots like standing up my heart rate jumps like 30 40 beats a minute Mm -hmm. and like it only comes down when i'm sitting down or even laying down so yeah i just rather than saying like i have pots i just say the cfs is causing symptoms consistent yeah. with pots yeah just so that i don't upset anybody who actually has pots yeah <laughs> how does that feel when the doctors are like nah you're not bad enough actually because it's not really like really stressful yeah because yeah. it's like well if i'm not bad enough then what is actually wrong with me yeah because like something is yeah. happening like that's not normal for me to be like sitting down my heart rate is what probably 90 right now and then yeah. i'm gonna stand up to go and leave and it's gonna be like 130 140 yeah. Is there anything that they have been able to offer? Like, okay, well, we you don't have a diagnosis, but let's help you with these symptoms. Uh, breathing exercises. Okay. So um, <laughs> I kind of told them to shove it with their breathing exercises. <laughs> but yeah, there's really, like, they're not going to go and prescribe me medications for POTS without a diagnosis for POTS because it is like a heart and a neurological thing. So they don't want to, like, mess up that system. Yeah. So it's just a matter of trying to manage it naturally with breathing exercises. And, yeah. Um, just yeah managing my workload I suppose yeah if you could just sit down forever please Olivia that'd be great yeah (laughs) yeah because that's how life works yeah (laughs) (laughs) and so there's also chest pain and alongside this reflux and also nausea that happens 24 7 yeah (laughs) how has all of that been recently and when did that start turns out I've been able to go back and identify this pattern it happens when I take the gabapentin as pain relief. Okay. So I'm in physical pain, so I take the gabapentin. Yeah. But then the gabapentin triggers all this like nasty stuff in my gut and my chest and my throat. Mm-hmm. And so then I have to go and take an omeprazole to go and counteract that. Right. Um, so it's good that I'm able to like identify that, I guess, and be able to treat that. But at the beginning, I was like, why? Like, this is just another thing on this list of issues yeah. that i got to deal with. And is there anything... Like, have your doctors ever thought, oh, well, we could try something other than the gabapentin? Um, I was actually at my GP yesterday for my three-monthly checkup. Yeah. And there is, there's a sister drug for gabapentin. I can't remember its name. Yeah. Which apparently has less possibility for side effects. Okay. So that's a route that we can, like, consider, but I don't really want to go and fix this, like, upset the system that I've got going now. Yeah. Because, like got exams coming up yeah new, like my work's going good I'm going to Sydney in a month <gasps> like, exciting I don't want to upset anything to yeah. yeah yeah that's that's totally fair enough yeah it's great that you can identify and know okay when I take this thing yeah. this is going to happen though so at least you can I guess prepare yeah. a little bit yeah a little bit a little bit yeah 
And then there's also, you mentioned, an autoimmune vitamin yeah. thing going on. Tell us about that. Wish I could. We don't really know what's happening there either. Okay. Um, <laughs> so basically, um, even from my bloods that I got back yesterday, I'm not able to absorb any vitamins or minerals okay. that a normal human needs to <laughs> survive in life. Mm-hmm. Um, so like my B12, my iron... My folate, which is like B6, I think. Okay. Magnesium, sodium, like literally everything. Wow. Is like critically low all the time. Interesting. Despite all, like I'm on a lot of supplements in the mornings to try and bring those up. Yeah. Um, I get the B12 shots every three months as well. Okay. And like my diet isn't terrible either, but it's still, they're always just so low. Interesting. And so they just don't know what that could possibly be. Originally, we didn't really know what it was. Okay. But my GP is, we're trying to pursue some sort of gut absorption issue, obviously. My blood work, like all those levels, suggest celiac disease. Okay. But the actual celiac count that you do with, mm. as bloods comes back negative. Okay. So that kind of has my GP stumped. She's like, okay, well, there's obviously something wrong. Yeah. We just can't put a name to it. Yeah. So that's that's our current little sidetrack tangent that my GP are currently going on together. Do you think that it could be connected, the you know, the fatigue and the nerve Definitely. pain yeah. with this vitamin deficiency? Definitely, yeah. Okay. I could don't tell me how, because I couldn't tell you, but I do think that they're connected one way or another. Yeah. And is there a plan for how like some more tests that you might be able to yeah, do? Just more testing, just more monitoring of symptoms. Because that's the thing too, is like celiac has quite like prominent symptoms. Yeah. Of, like physical symptoms with gut issues. Whereas like I can eat a loaf of bread or and a happens. giant bowl of pasta and yeah. nothing happens. So Okay. Yeah. It feels like you have to really be a detective and have to advocate for yourself a little bit to be like no this thing's very much so yeah Yeah. because yeah if I had just accepted that original like anxiety diagnosis back in ED last year gosh knows where I would be right now like yeah what sort of pains I'd be experiencing symptoms and all sorts yeah Before we carry on with the interview, I wanted to quickly jump in and say thank you to you for listening to this episode of That's So Chronic. Whether you're tuning in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or another one of your favourite podcast apps, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could leave a rating or a review. That really helps That's So Chronic reach more ears around the world to hopefully spread awareness and, more importantly, hope. And it also just really makes my day. All right, back to the interview. On a day-to-day, I guess, here, a year later, yeah. what does life sort of look like for you symptoms-wise? Honestly, it depends on the day. Yeah. If we take this week, for example, I've been working a lot, I've been studying a lot, my days have started from 7 and then I'm not getting home again till 7 at night. So that's been a lot of like mental strain, especially preparing for exams, um, but also physical strain, being at work and moving around. So I guess my symptoms have been on the worse side, like I'm experiencing more pain in my legs, but that's okay. just because I've been standing on them all day. Yeah. Whereas a week where I'm not working or studying or studying from bed, mm-hmm. um, it's not as bad because I'm comfy 
Yeah, I guess. And that sort of leads me to my next question, I suppose. You mentioned that you've got some medications and the supplements that you are taking to try and help these symptoms. Are there any lifestyle changes that you've noticed that over this past year you really have had to change the way that you do things? I'm thinking like studying or being able to find work or you know, I don't yeah. know, doing the groceries um, or something like that. <laughs> I love doing the groceries. It's, it's like my one hour time out of the house, out of school mind, out of work mind, where I could just go and be an adult. It's lovely. I love that. Um, <laughs> Do you have a favourite aisle? Probably the coffee. Like, because oh, it smells really Because it smells really aisle. nice. I love coffee. And like all the packaging lined yeah. up is just like chef's yeah. kiss. <laughs> In terms of study, I definitely prefer... Not necessarily studying from home, mm-hmm. but I do find sitting in those like lecture seats extremely uncomfortable. Okay. So I either watch a lecture live online or just watch the recording an hour later yeah. from like one of the couches in the library or yeah. somewhere else on campus that's just a little bit more comfy and accessible, um, especially if I am having to use my walking stick. There's loads of stairs in lecture I... theatres. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like no, like nothing to hold on to when yeah. you're walking up the stairs either. Yeah. And it's like if you hold on to like the desks as you're walking up or down, it's kind of like weird if someone's sitting there. Yeah. And everyone loves to sit on the aisles. I know. It's like, why? Just move in a little. Yeah. In terms of work, I have, I left my permanent part-time position. Okay. That was just at a burger bar. Just because I couldn't, like, like, the flexibility was an issue. Like, I would have to work set days and set hours, which was fine. But then when everything sort of happened with my body and not really... Like, the symptoms don't have set days or set times. No, it's not like, hey, every Thursday we just need to be okay. Yeah, like, that doesn't happen in <laughs> no. the real world. So I was like, look, this is what's happening with my body. We tried to work around it by just reducing mm-hmm. my shifts to just doing, like, a Friday and a Saturday night. But again, like, that, like I can't predict what my body's yeah. going to be like on those nights. So I was like, look, I'm going to have to leave. I will help you find someone new. I'll help you train yeah. them up. But I ultimately just have to leave. At the time, I was still a casual at the lab, and then I've also picked up casual work for venues Autotahi, which is just yep. like an event service. So um, I've noticed that the flexibility of casual contracts yeah. is a lot better for me because yeah. there's no pressure on actually having to turn up or yep. say yes to shifts mm-hmm. or if I have to leave because I'm not feeling well, like that's fine. Yeah. So I do appreciate that and. The, ven- the events company is, like, a little bit weird because it's so big. Mm-hmm. The team that I work with at the lab, like, shout out to them. Like, they're all awesome. Like, yeah. I love them all. So, and they're all, like, real understanding about everything as well. So. Yeah. So, how have you found the support from the people that are in your life? Have people been able to understand and give you support? It's definitely been very mixed. Okay. Um, For the most part, it's all been very positive and very, like, okay, how can we adapt, like, different relationships and different like how like how can we adapt to make things easier for you and I really appreciate that but there's also been some other people in my life who just don't get it yeah I don't really know how to explain it but it's like I guess going back to the whole like CFS not being like a real condition is like how can you explain to someone who doesn't or like doesn't want to understand yeah that this is like a real thing so yeah 
And especially when historically, like, it hasn't been portrayed as though it is a condition. Like, I think that's happening at the moment where there's, like, a petition going to try and get um, ME slash CFS to be recognised as a disability in New Zealand so that you can access the support that disabled people are able to access. Yeah, Yeah, that's good. It definitely is... That's like a worthwhile thing because CFS is like how I describe it is a very blanket term. Yeah. The symptoms of CFS for me compared to someone else are going to be very different. Yeah. So like I don't think that the support available should be based on that. Yeah. 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 Going back to studying at university. Yeah. And being able to do the lectures from different places that are more accessible on campus or perhaps even being able to do them from home that reminds me of the National Disabled Students Association they've got a campaign running at the moment to try and make all universities in the country commit to always having lecture recordings which personally I totally stand for and agree yeah for but yeah sure. I'd love to chat just a little bit more about how important it is that these institutions these universities do offer things like lecture recordings yeah for someone in your position who's you know on this health journey yeah how important that has been to just have that support from the university or what it's been not having support <laughs> from the university definitely I am so so thankful that UC is very flexible with their online versus in-person learning. Yeah. And I'm thankful that I'm able to have that flexibility where some days I can go onto campus and some days I do have to work from home or I have to find somewhere comfy on campus to work from. Yeah. But just if that like wasn't an option, there's no way and like no way I would still be studying. Like I've changed my degree three times already (laughs) to try and try and work around what's going up in my brain. Yeah. Um, So the support... I guess on the like enrollment side of like which classes are available online and which ones you actually have to go into that's been really positive. Lecturers themselves can be a little bit difficult to work with, but I guess that's that's just the perks of being at uni. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when lecturers might not be consistent in the programs and you've Definitely. got like other people coming in and out and it's just a bit like overwhelming like yeah you know yeah it's like I thought we had this other lady teaching us yeah like you're trying to explain it to one person and then suddenly it's like oh no we're in a whole new module now we're doing something completely different yeah yeah so it sounds as though you are really good at being like this is my reality this is what I'm doing I'm just gonna you know put a positive face on and I'm going to accept help from people and I'm gonna you know make it work for me yeah has that taken a toll though on your mental health? Like yep. when? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's definitely taken a long time to get to a point where I'm willing to accept help. Yeah. I'm usually, a, oh, I still am a very independent person. Yeah. Like, just let me do my own thing. I'm going to get through it. Like, if you give me like a job to do, whether it be at uni or at work, I'm going to go and do it. It just might take me a little bit longer depending on how I'm feeling, but I'm going to go and do it. But when I am having bad symptom days, I guess, yeah, being able to ask for help, I think is, I don't want to be like all like sentimental about it, but it was a different, it was definitely a big step in my journey, I guess. Yeah. Um, after being like so independent, like I need to go and do this for myself, but being able to let people in to be able to help with bad days. That's yeah. Yeah so important yeah but really hard really to do. hard yeah 
yeah i guess that step sort of came when it all like got too much for me like yeah it's all gonna well me being independent and doing my own thing but that takes a toll on the mental where it's like yeah. hang on a minute i need to take a step back take a break let's delegate these tasks like yeah yeah do your symptoms go through flares i guess like definitely is, okay yeah how does that feel having to navigate that as well when like I know for me with having MS it's very unpredictable that it's like oh I might wake up tomorrow and things are a bit shit yeah is that a similar situation that you find like it just being quite unpredictable and not really being able to plan when these things happen in the early days yes okay but because I'm such a medical mystery I've had to try and identify different patterns and different trends I see yeah um so I know that like after a big week like I've had this week this weekend's going to be awful. Yeah. Or, yeah, just like a day where I've overexerted myself either at uni studying or even just going out with friends. Like, yeah. that just takes a toll on both my physical symptoms and also, like, <laughs> love my friends. But it, it can be mentally draining being out for a long period of time. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I've been able to identify that that is, like, while I feel good in the moment, I'm going to feel awful afterwards. Yeah. But, yeah, definitely in the early days it was kind of like, Yesterday I was able to like go and do all this other stuff and then waking up the next day being like, why am I unable to move? <laughs> yeah. yeah. When we first connected, you mentioned that sometimes, especially in the early days of when all this was starting, people loved to be like, oh, you should just go for a walk. Just go for a walk. Yeah. You'll feel better after a walk. Yeah. Do you find that going for a walk is the best <sighs> thing for your symptoms? The silence. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess it's just sort of like the context of being told to go for a walk. Yeah, like, yeah. like those days where I was in ED, unable to literally move any ounce of my body below my neck. They're just like, oh, well, you can walk again. Just go for a walk around the block. Go for a walk around the yeah. Rose Gardens. Like, that's all good and well. But like right now, I can't move any part of my body. I was exercising. Like, I was quite routinely going to the gym. Mm-hmm. But then when the, like, symptoms of POTS really kicked in. Yeah, right. Obviously, like, you know, popping a squat and then passing out. Like, (laughs) I had to stop that and sort of, like, reconfigure how I was exercising. Yeah. So, like, so as much as I don't enjoy going for a walk, that's really the only form of exercise I can get because it's relatively low intensity and, yeah. Have you had much unsolicited advice from people when you've sort of mentioned that this is going on? Like the, oh, just go for a walk. Yeah, it's mostly just, like, a lot of diet stuff as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I've always had a lot of issues with food. I was always a picky eater as a child. And so it, it like, not necessarily just my family, but everyone who knows that I've been a picky eater in the past has been like, well, it's because you only ate chocolate yogurt when you were little. And it's (laughs) like, well, I still eat chocolate yogurt now. Like, it doesn't make any difference. So it's definitely been a lot of diet stuff, like, again go for a walk just exercise more eat better and it's like well I am eating like I force my partner to make veggies with dinner he hates them but (laughs) I make him do it and yeah but again just sort of like brush it off so like we mentioned at the beginning this is a little bit of a different type of interview because we're not talking about all these symptoms and then yay there's this magical yeah. diagnosis that you I wish. Yeah, <laughs> you're still on that journey of trying to find that diagnosis and I 
cross my fingers and I feel super hopeful that it won't be too long until you'll know exactly why all of these things are happening. You and me both, girl. (laughs) (laughs) But if someone is listening and they're also on that journey, because I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this feeling of just being overwhelmed with symptoms and things that it might be and not being bad enough to then get this thing checked out or this thing, you know. And I'm sure a lot of people can resonate and relate to that feeling. If someone is listening and they're in the thick of it, just like you are at the moment as well, do you have any words of support or, I don't know, some sort of tip or trick that you've found has helped you on this journey? I don't really have any tips or tricks, but I would probably just say keep like advocating for yourself. Yeah. Like if you're not satisfied with, what one person thinks is going on, go and seek a second opinion or a third opinion or an eighth opinion, whatever it may be. Yeah. I guess if we're going to get, like, tips and tricks, just be careful with what you Google. Yeah. Like, it's all going to well Googling your symptoms to try and, like, educate yourself, but you don't have a brain tumour. Like, you're not going <laughs> to die. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess just keep, like, keep on keeping on. Yeah. yeah there's not really anything else to it. You just got to, yeah, keep trying. Yeah, and it's okay to ask for help or accept the help when someone offers, as hard as it may be. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Well, Olivia, thank you so much for chatting with me and sharing your story with me and everybody listening today. That is more than okay. I'm really, really hopeful and, like I said before, crossing my fingers that you can get some definitive answers soon. Yeah. I can only imagine how difficult it must be at the moment to sort of have this blanket diagnosis and not really understand some of the other symptoms that yeah, are going on. definitely. So you'll have to keep us all updated. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to check back in. <laughs> Part two. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of That's So Chronic. I'm sure a lot of people listening can relate to the feelings that Olivia is currently going through, being on that search to try and find a diagnosis and make sense of some of the symptoms. So again, thanks to Olivia for sharing her story today. Now, I thought I'd better let you know that this was actually the last interview episode for the year. I think you'll be pleased to know that I am taking December off to relax, de-stress, look after myself, eat some vegetables, go out in nature and get ready to hit the ground running in 2023. I'll still be active over on Instagram and TikTok though, so if you haven't, make sure you're following at That's So Chronic. And I will also still be continuing with my latest obsession, which is the newsletter on Substack. Just search That's So Chronic or click the link in the show notes to subscribe. But I will be back next week in your favourite podcast app for a That's So episode. So until then, I hope you have an amazing week.